As always is the case, I do consider it an honor to speak concerning the Word of God. My hope and my prayer is this. And really, it is the hope and prayer and intention that I have in studying the seven I Am statements of Jesus that He gave in the Gospel according to John. It is my plan and my hope that you would have a greater appreciation for Jesus Christ in your life than before we started this series. And today is no different. Jesus said those words so long ago. He said, I am the good shepherd. As an introductory text, though, we find ourselves in John chapter 10. We're going to begin there in verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. You remember last time when we talked about when Jesus said, I am the door. We talked about the very special relationship that a shepherd had with his sheep. The special bond that the shepherd had. You know, really, I actually learned some things as I studied some history about shepherds and sheep back then. The shepherd knew the sheep so well that he even gave each one a name. That's just amazing. We think about dogs coming when you call their name. Well, that's exactly what the shepherd would do. He knew them so well, he would give them a name. He would call out their name, and they would listen, and they would follow. The reason that they would listen is because they were very familiar with the sound of the voice of the shepherd. And the reason for that was the shepherd would labor among them. He would protect them all day long, and he would speak to them constantly, and they would hear his voice and there was a great bond between shepherd and sheep. You remember that every morning, in one sheepfold, all the shepherds would come. Now picture this, please. Every village had a sheepfold. And every village had a number of shepherds. And every one of those shepherds, they all had their own sheep. Morning time would come. And he would come to the entrance or the gate of the sheepfold. That's just a fancy word for saying pen. He would come to the corral. He would come to the pen. There would be a gatekeeper there to make sure that somebody other than the shepherd could get in. Nobody else could get in. But the shepherd would come. The gatekeeper would let the shepherd in. And one by one, he would enter the gate and he would call his sheep by name. And they would follow him and they would go out to pastures that they would eat. And they could go to places where they would drink. And he called them by name. His job was to care for the sheep against thieves and robbers and animals. But at the end of the day, his job was not done. And you know, really, when I think about all that the shepherd must have done, you remember I did touch on this. When we look at pasture land today, usually we look at plush land that's kind of flat or maybe some rolling hills. We don't think of what they actually did with these sheep. The pasture lands of that day 
when the time when Jesus was speaking these words, the better the land, the better the field, that was for the crops. They grew crops there. They farmed there. So what about where could a sheep go and graze? Historians tell us that there was rough and rocky terrain on hillsides. And they would go there, and the shepherd would watch his sheep. Just perhaps one of those sheep got his foot caught between two rocks. He'd be stuck there. He didn't have to worry, though, because standing nearby was the shepherd. He would go and pull the leg of that sheep out of the rock and set him free. It was all day long. It was, as one historian called it, it was arduous in that it was difficult and exhausting. But his day was not over. At the end of the day, he led his sheep back to the sheepfold. He would stand there as he was the door. He would take his rod and drop it down so they couldn't enter on their own. He would examine every one of his sheep from front to back and top to bottom. Perhaps one of those sheep would get a cut during the day. Maybe the one that got stuck between the two rocks. The shepherd would see that and take oil for medicinal and soothing purposes and put the oil on those wounds and let that one in. Then the next one, examine that one front to back, top to bottom, and let that one in. It was an exhausting day, exhausting day for the shepherd. But that is what a good shepherd did. Jesus says in verse 11, he doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, they would, all, they would have understood what he meant about what a good shepherd does. I just described that to you. But Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd. You know what that is? That's a picture of salvation. The reality of that comes to us back in verse 9. Notice what Jesus said there in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. All right. He specifically calls himself the good shepherd. Now, in verse 19, beginning there, he says, Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I needed to show you this passage because of one word. There was a division, and the Bible says, again among the Jews. All right. Remember this. In the Gospel of John, when the Bible records and the Bible speaks of Jews in a plural sense, he's not talking about specifically Jewish people by blood. When he's referring to the Jews, he's referring to the religious leaders that often opposed Jesus. So, there was a division, not among the disciples, there was a division among the leaders of Israel, those that had rejected Jesus. But what about this word again? I don't have time to go into it very far, so I won't, but bear with me, we got to set the tone here. It goes all the way back to chapter 9. Very briefly, I'll narrate the story, quickly. Jesus with his disciples, they came upon a man that was a beggar, a beggar because he was born blind. We know the story. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? Why was he born blind? And Jesus says, it's nobody's fault. Nobody sinned. It's just an unfortunate circumstance. And I like what Jesus says as I paraphrase. But in the end, it's going to magnify the glory of God. You're going to see the glory of God. 
You know, sometimes people ask the question, why? I think it's the most overused question. It is the hard-asked question, theological question asked today that has no answer, and that's why. Why did this happen to somebody that I love? Why did this happen to me? Why do I have to go through what I'm going through? It was very common back then. People actually believed if you had an unfortunate circumstance happen to you, like being born blind, that you were paying for either your sin or the sin of someone else. That is not true. And do you know what? Sometimes bad things happen to wonderful people, and that's just the way that it is. And Jesus said it's nobody's fault. But then Jesus spat on the ground, and from that spittle, the King James calls it, he makes clay, and he puts it to the eyes of this man, and he says, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash, and you'll be able to see, and he does. What about the division? Here's the first division. When the man comes back, there's a division among those Jewish men. And the division was, is this the guy that was born blind? Some would say, oh, yeah, that's him. Others said, no, it can't be him. There was a division right then. They go to the man's parents and they said to the parents, three questions. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And how come he can now see? You remember what they said? Yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But as to how come he could see, ask him. He's of age. And then it says, and this they said for fear of the Jews. Because the Jews, religious leaders, opposing Jesus, had already said, if anyone would profess that Jesus is the Christ, they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. Here's another division. The division against among these religious leaders was this. Is he a sinner or is he not a sinner? And some said he's a sinner because he performed this miracle on the Sabbath day. Others said he couldn't be a sinner and perform the miracles that he performed. Again, another division. So when we get to chapter 10 and he begins down toward the latter part of chapter 10, verse 19, there's still another division among them. So, all that being said, in verses 11 to 18, our Lord explains how he fulfills the identity of the good shepherd, one that God himself would send. And by the way, this is the fourth in succession of the I am statements of Jesus. He began with, I am the bread of life. Then he said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, I am the door. And now, today as we study, he said, I am the good Shepherd. Let's look at that passage as we begin in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Then he says it immediately again. He says, the good shepherd is going to do something. And he says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And they understood that. They would have known what he meant by that. What does it mean to be good? What's it mean to be good? You know, there are two words in the Greek language for good. One of them is this word here. And I don't usually try to pronounce Greek words, because I'm not a Greek scholar, and chances are I'm not, gonna, I'm, not going to, uh, I'm not going to say it properly. But i got to say it this word, because it's a, it fits a word that we get from that. So I'm just going to take a guess here. I would imagine this word is pronounced agathos or, agatha, or agathos, either one. We get an English name from that. You know what that name is? Agatha. You know what that word means? It's a word that is very common in the scriptures. It's very common in the New Testament. 
And it's a word, though, that is confined to a certain kind of goodness. It's a word that's confined to moral goodness. And that's very common in the New Testament. That's not this word, though. The word good here in this passage is that Greek word. And that word means this. It means beautiful. It means to be magnificent, to be winsome, lovely, excellent on all levels. That is Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, this is me. Now, you might be wondering, wait a minute, it says lovely, beautiful. Doesn't the Bible say a little something about what the Lord was going to look like? Yeah, it does. It says this, he has no form, nor comeliness, nor beauty that we would desire him. How brilliant it was of God. That the one that would come, the Savior, wouldn't draw people to him because he was handsome. The Bible speaks of four men that were handsome and built well in the Old Testament. They don't say that about Jesus. He has no form nor comeliness nor beauty that you should desire him. So what does it mean when we say beautiful? We're talking about what real beauty is. We're talking about the kind of beauty that's on the inside and real strength. That strength that's on the inside. And by the way. Can I just make an aside here? If we are not beautiful on the inside, it matters not what we look like on the outside. It doesn't matter at all. And if we don't have any inner strength that comes from the Lord, it doesn't matter how strong we are in the weight room on the outside. It doesn't matter. What matters is what we are on the inside. Jesus was the good shepherd because he was good in every way. Now, interestingly about this, you know, the Jewish people had an idea of who the best shepherd was. I know you're probably thinking about that shepherd boy right now. It's the first thing you think about, that I think about when I think about a shepherd boy. It was David, and David was a truly good shepherd. And the thing about David is, the Bible says he was ruddy and fair-countenanced. You know, scholars say when he went and slew the Philistine giant, Goliath, when he did that, he was ruddy, and some say that it meant he was so young he didn't even shave yet. Fair countenanced. I don't know that to be true, but I think it's very possible. He was a young, young man, a young boy. He decides that nobody's going to defy the armies of the living God, and he's going to rise up against that Philistine giant, and he does. He takes five smooth stones and a sling, and he went before the Philistine giant, and he slung it at him, and the force was so great it embedded itself in his forehead, and down with the giant, he took a, a sword out and cut off his head. When I think about a shepherd in the Old Testament, I think about David, and no doubt so did they. You know what Jesus is saying, though? He's saying, I'm better. He's saying, I am greater than even David. You know, in chapter 5, and this is why I know that he's talking about this. This is really the language here. In chapter 5, Jesus claimed to be greater than Moses. In chapter 8, he claimed to be greater than Abraham. You remember what Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what that means is it's twofold. It does include that he's saying I existed before Abraham existed, absolutely. But there's so much more. When he said before Abraham was, I am. M, he's saying, I'm greater than Abraham. Why is that? I am is a name for God. It's a name for deity. He is saying that about himself. Therefore, I'm greater than Abraham. 
greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, and now I'm even greater than the greatest shepherds of all of old, like David. All right, so here's the question. Why is Jesus worthy of being the good shepherd? I'm going to give you the three points in advance, and this is going to be our, it's going to be our little outline, very simple. Three reasons. Number one, he dies for them. Number two, he loves them. And number three, he unites them. Jesus is the good shepherd for these three reasons. He dies for the sheep, he loves the sheep, and he unites the sheep. We'll get to what that means as we progress through. Number one, though, let's talk about dying for them. And we go back to verse 11. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Now, if you study about sheep, about sheep and shepherds, the shepherds were absolutely responsible for the sheep. One historian I read this week said this, it was a man's job, it was a lowly job, it was a humble job, it was an exhausting job, it was an unskilled job, and every shepherd ran the risk of losing his life. Every one. The shepherd was absolutely responsible for the sheep. If anything happened to the sheep, he had to produce proof that it was not his fault or it wasn't based on his own dereliction of duty. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 31, the protection of the sheep, notice, in Isaiah 31, Isaiah speaks of the crowd of shepherds that were called out when a lion attacked, they called the shepherds to go fight the lion. In Exodus chapter 22 and verse 13. It says this, if it is torn to pieces, and one of those things mentioned are sheep. If it's torn to pieces by the beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make, and he shall not make good on what was torn. In other words, if a shepherd lost a sheep, he had to give an account for what was lost and why. And if a wild animal came in and destroyed a sheep, they had to take the remains, the torn body of that sheep. And bring it back to the ultimate owner of that sheep and prove this is what happened. Or he would have been liable for that. He would have to give an account of that. This is what good shepherds did though. It was a natural thing for a shepherd to risk his life in protection of the sheep. He never hesitated and he did it voluntarily. What a great picture of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ was no man's victim. He was the ultimate victor. He laid down his life for his sheep. We're going to get to that passage in just a moment. Don't think for a minute that the Lord's life was taken. The Lord's life he freely gave. He did it voluntarily. Just like these good shepherds, from a natural perspective, would have given their life for the sheep voluntarily. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life. Notice verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. All right. When Jesus laid down his life, he gave more than just his body. I was reading from some commentators, and it's interesting the spin that sometimes people take on stuff. And we know that Jesus always existed. He was in the beginning at the creation. He was there with God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Why? Because he and the Holy Spirit were right there with God Almighty. They were right there with the Father in the very beginning. We know all that. When you think about what Jesus did from the very beginning, 
He has always existed. Then he was given a body. And one commentator tried to say he was given a body and what he gave up was the body. That's too easy. That's too simple. That is oversimplifying and it doesn't include everything that is meant by the word life. It doesn't, do, it doesn't bring into existence everything about life. You know the word life in the Greek? There's two words. There's this word right here and that's where we get biological life. Then there's this word here and that gets transliterated to the word zoology which is the study of life. Those are words that Described from a scientific scenario, it describes life. But the word life in our passage right here is not that word at all. It's this word right here. It's a word that means soul. It's translated oftentimes soul. It's defined as describing what speaks of the whole person. What did Jesus give for his sheep? His whole person. Everything. You ever stop to consider, I think this is included. I think this is what he meant, by the way. Do you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed to his father? And the Bible says, when Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. What was exceeding sorrowful? His soul. His whole person. His inner being. Not just his body. Not just the outward body. He gave so much more than that. But it's a word that uh, is, for, is speaking of the whole person. All right, so not just the outside. Jesus did not just feel the pain and the suffering on the outside. Remember when Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You've heard me say this before. The cup that we're talking about there has to, it includes it, but has to be more than just the cup of suffering. Has to. I believe that the cup there also included God's divine wrath on sin. Do you know why? Like when we sung those songs this morning, God took the sins of the world and the wrath of God on those sins and put it on his lamb, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. That was part of the cup too. And Jesus in agony realizing he would do that without the presence of God that even the face of God would turn and he'd have to suffer the sinful consequence of all mankind by himself on that day. No doubt that's what he meant when he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. We're not minimizing, though. We're not minimizing the physical pain that happened when somebody would be crucified. It was awful. From the crown of thorns, the, the nails pierced into his hands and feet, and all the things that the Lord went through. I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying it's more than that. Let me give you another example. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, it says this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, notice, and give his life a ransom for many. Interesting. Interesting. It's translated in English in our translation before us as life, but it's the same word that means soul. It's the same Greek word that we just noticed. And why did he do it? Why did he voluntarily lay down his soul? He did it for the benefit of the sheep. You know, from a natural perspective, from a natural perspective, when a shepherd would lose his life, 
And this is obvious, by the way. If a shepherd lost his life because he was defending the sheep and he put on a great fight against the animal, but he lost the battle and he died, guess what else? Guess who else died? All the sheep. If the shepherd lost his life, guess who else is losing their life? It's the sheep. But not this shepherd. Not this shepherd. Not Jesus. Jesus, that, that's not what happened with him. You know the song we used to sing about on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. You remember that song, Up from the Grave He Arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes? He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever. Death he overcame. Some songbooks say with his saints to reign. That's what happened. Our shepherd died to give life and not take it away. No doubt that's what Jesus also meant when he said, I came to give life and that life having it more abundantly. So the first aspect of the relationship of the sheep to the shepherd, the first thing, and also it's the first reason why Jesus is the good shepherd is because he dies for them, he gives his life. But number two, he loves his sheep. And this really is what's behind the first one. This, of course, is, is exactly why he did what he did. In John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. And I am known by my own, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. It explains why he lays down his life voluntarily. It's because he knows them. Now, I just said he loves them. And maybe you're looking at this passage saying, I don't see love at all. Where are you getting love out of that? Notice with me. What you find is four times this word right here. It's the word no. Four times in our passage in these couple verses here. So with that being said, in John chapter 10 and verse 15, notice. It says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 17, notice. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So that's the interpretive key. It's the word no. It has the idea of a loving relationship. It's a euphemism for intimacy. An intimate relationship with the Lord. It's not about information. It's about love. And four times the word no is there used implying this intimate relationship, this loving fellowship. In John chapter 14 and verse 21. He who, has, he who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, as one scholar said, the language is love. It's not knowing. In chapter 14 and verse 23. Another passage. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. So, in summing up, when the word no is used in this context, it's the idea of a loving, intimate relationship and fellowship. He loves his sheep. He knows them more than knowing their name, more than knowing who they are. He has an intimate relationship with them. Now, that's why we got to now look at a very sobering passage 
very sobering passage. It comes up all the time. came up the other day in a conversation I had with somebody. In Matthew chapter 7 on the great sermon on the mount. Remember when Jesus said this? He's picturing the end of time. He's picturing the judgment. And he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, notice, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Folks, this doesn't mean I don't know who you are. That's not what the Lord meant. He's not saying that on that day, I'm going to say to those that are lost, I don't know who you are. What he's saying is, I did not have an intimate relationship with you. We don't have a relationship is what he's going to say. You know why? Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments and keep my words. So the Bible, the blueprint in the word of God is what we must do to have a relationship with Jesus. If I do that, guess what? That on that last and final day, I'm going to have the Lord standing in for me going, that one's mine. That's great stuff. Jesus will say, I, I never had a relationship with you. All right. So the first aspect of the shepherd's relationship to the sheep is he gives life. It's based upon his love for the sheep. And then it brings us to our third. And I think this is wonderful. I think this is beautiful. And that is he unites the sheep. He unites the sheep first to himself and then with other people. And we've got to drop down to verse 16. In verse 16, Jesus said this, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now picture this. Remember back in verse 1, uh, John speaks of and records the wording of Jesus when Jesus talks about a sheepfold in verse 1. You remember last time we talked about Jesus saying, I am the door. The sheepfold in verse 1 is referring to Jewish people that are going to be saved. It's referring to those Jewish people. And as E.M. Zur said, quite possibly in, uh, exclusive to the ones that were baptized by the baptism of John before the kingdom or the church was established. What is Jesus doing? This I know for sure. The gospel went to the Jew first. So those in the sheepfold, they were the Jewish people first. And Jesus calls the people out of Judaism, out of the law of Moses, and brings them unto him in a relationship with him from the, those that were in the sheepfold of Israel or Judaism. What else? Then in verse 16, Jesus says, I got other sheep too, and they're not from this fold. Who's that? This is what makes us pretty happy. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. That's anyone other than a Jewish person. And notice, they'll be called together and be in one flock and one shepherd. Now, this phrase right here, there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Do you remember that song we used to sing? There should be one fold, one shepherd. 
one Lord, one hope, one faith. There should be one fold, one shepherd, one plan of saving grace. In Ephesians chapter 3, we find something very beautiful. There was a mystery. And by the way, a mystery is something that existed in the mind of God, but was not yet made evident or known. What was the mystery? Guess what? Both of those sheepfolds, those that came from Israel and those that came out of the world, the Gentile, would be together in one body, one, uh, one shepherd, in one fold, and that is the church. That's why Paul said this in Galatians 3 and 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither, there's neither bond nor free, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's also why he said this in Ephesians chapter four and verse, uh, 2 and verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Obviously, that's the separation between Israel or Jewish people that used to be the people of God exclusively and Gentiles. Man, we don't have to worry about all those aspects of the old law of Moses anymore. We don't have to know about any of that. We follow and we are a part of the law of Jesus Christ. We have been called from the sheepfold of the world. The gospel was preached. It's supposed to go to the entire world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Wonderful. The gospel's going forth to the world, and guess what? Me and you are in that world. We follow the shepherd. We're in one body. That one body is the church. And through the church, we follow Jesus, and we follow him all the way to heaven. You know, Jesus said those wonderful words. He says, you know, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it, were not told, if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, that you may be also. Jesus is going and went to heaven to prepare a place for his people. Got to be a sheep following the shepherd, following all the way to heaven. In closing this morning... In closing, why is Jesus the good shepherd? Because he gives his life for his sheep. And why does he do that? What's the motivation? Because he loves his sheep. And thirdly and finally, he brings them into an intimate unity with himself and with each other. And may I just say this one final thing in closing. If I am in fellowship with Jesus and you are in fellowship with Jesus, and by the way, that means God too. You can't be in fellowship with Jesus without being in fellowship with God. So if I'm in fellowship with God and Jesus Christ and you are in fellowship with God and Jesus Christ, guess what? We are automatically in fellowship with each other. That's wonderful. You got to be part of the sheepfold. One fold. That's the church. I'm through this morning. Thank you so much for your kind listening. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. 
and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.